And that's Mike Morney. He's not here today. He would love to be with us today, but he's in Canada on that farm harvesting grain, uh, driving one of their five large combines. Why Corny, you might ask? Well, you heard him say that his first language is Low German, Plautdeutsch, and that he comes from a Mennonite background. In Mennonite culture, Cornelius is a common name, just as common as Jonathan or Josue. And just like in this congregation, we have a Josue whose name is changed to Josh, don't ask me why, but it is. Uh, and in English culture, Jonathan is often shortened to John or Johnny. Cornelius in Mennonite culture also is shortened to one of two terms, either Neil or Corny. Now, clearly, Corny's family chose Corny. And as I've said over the years to my students multiple times, because I knew that eventually in class it would slip out, everyone who knows and loves Corny calls him Corny. And now you can too. Corny. That man tells me that he makes the stories and I tell them. He's right. I've learned more from him about the character of God than anyone else on this planet, I think. Let me share an example. It was the summer of summer. We also had a very ill cat. Yes, I must confess, I'm a cat person. Thank you. But for those of you who are not, I'm looking up at my colleague who is not. I'm asking you to just suspend your feelings about cats for a moment. This story isn't so much about the cat, it truly is about Corny. I had gone to the vet several times that summer, discovered that she had heart failure, and near the end of July, she actually left us for good during a procedure to drain fluid from her lungs. I was devastated, broken-hearted. Late that evening, I called Corn in Pennsylvania at his hotel room and gave him the news. We cried together. And in the midst of our grief, thousands of kilometers, well over a thousand miles apart, Corny came up with a plan. We needed to be together. Hey, he said, the truck is almost empty. The logs are, are coming off the truck. Now understand, they don't just unload the logs all at once. They take them off one by one as they place them on the home. So it takes quite a while to unload the truck. The logs are almost off the truck, he said. The house is almost finished. I suspect that by Sunday, I'll be able to start driving back to Alberta. If somehow you could come, find your way here, we'll be able to drive back home together. We needed that. We truly did. The moment he said that, I recalled that several days earlier, as I pulled up to, in the parking lot next to the vet clinic, I noticed a travel agency. And on the window of the travel agency was a poster advertising flights to Toronto. 
$199. That was a good deal in 1996. It's a fabulous deal today, but it was amazing then. Listen, I said to him, there is supposedly flights to Toronto for $199. I'll find out tomorrow and I'll let you know what I could manage. If I get to Toronto, can I rent a vehicle and drive to Scranton? He quickly did the calculation, thought it would be about a six-hour drive, and I said, I, I can do that. We, we might be able to make this happen. That was Wednesday night. The next day, early Thursday morning, I called the travel agency. It was 1996, remember? Long before the days of Expedia and online booking. I asked about the advertisement I'd seen in the window. Yes, the woman said. Yes, flights are still available. Yes, we can get you out of Calgary tomorrow afternoon, Friday afternoon, and yes, it only costs $199. Fantastic, I said. I'll also need a hotel room because she had told me that the plane wouldn't arrive in Toronto until 8.30 at night. By the time I got off the plane, got the car, and drove six hours, crossed an international border to boot, it would be maybe two, three, four in the morning. I didn't want to do that. So I said, get me a hotel at the airport hotel and find me a car rental agency that will allow me to take a car into the United States and leave it there. No problem, she said, I'll call you back this afternoon. And she did, with the details. I was staying at a hotel at the airport, and I would be renting a car from budget. Late that evening, I called Corn to tell him the news. It's great, dear, I said. I'm coming. I'm flying into Toronto tomorrow afternoon. I arrive at 8.30 at Pearson International Airport. I'm staying at the airport hotel and renting a vehicle from budget. I promise. I'm a night owl, not a morning person. I promise I'll get up first thing in the morning, I'll drive so that I can get there at noon, and we can at least spend the rest of Sabbath together before we have to head back on Sunday. Fantastic, he responded. Friday morning, about mid-morning, my phone rang. It was the travel agent. Joy, she said, I'm so sorry, terribly sorry. But I double-checked the budget car rental to see if they'd allow you to leave the car in Scranton, and they won't. They don't do one-way trips to the United States. <gasps> no, no, she said, don't worry about it, I've already checked. Avis will allow you to do that. So I've booked with Avis, and I'm cancelling the reservation with budget. Everything else is set. That afternoon, I drove to the airport in Calgary went through security, got on the plane, and landed in Toronto at 8.30 as scheduled without incident. Made my way through the airport, followed the hotel shuttle sign, got on the shuttle for the hotel, and by 9.30 I was safely ensconced in a beautiful hotel room. At about 10 I thought, hmm, I should probably call Corny in Pennsylvania and let him know that I've arrived in Toronto. You see, in 1996, I had never traveled by myself before. It's true. And I'd only been on a plane about four or five times. So to actually, by myself, get on a plane in Calgary, Alberta, which is just straight north of here, and fly across the country to Toronto, find a hotel room, navigate that airport, was really quite an accomplishment, I thought. 
I thought that also he might actually be worried about me, so I should let him know. I dialed the hotel number in Scranton. The operator picked up. Please connect me to Cornelius, when, I, when nobody knows him, I use his official name. Please connect me to Cornelius Fair's room, I asked. The phone rang, and rang, and rang, and rang. Finally, the operator came back online. It doesn't appear that anyone has answered, she said. No, it's true. I, I asked, have you seen Cornelius? He's with that log home group that are building, building a big house in Scranton. Yes, she said, I know. I know them. I've seen them around the last week or two. Have you seen him? No, she said. I, I haven't this evening. And then I remembered. It was Friday night. He's a good Seventh-day Adventist. He knew I was coming the next day. He was probably just in the shower. Don't worry, I said. I'll call back later. So I did at 10.30 with the same result. Once again, she came back on the line. No one's answering, she said. Yes, I said. Are you sure you haven't seen them? You haven't seen him? No, no, she said. I've been on, de- on the desk since 7 o'clock tonight, and I haven't seen any of them. What on earth was going on? I thought, this is just the weirdest thing. It's Friday night. Sabbath. He wouldn't be doing anything but sitting in his room, waiting to sleep, and then get up in the morning and welcome me to Scranton. And then I remembered. He had told me about a week before how disturbed he was, because every evening, the men he was working with They would all take the car that the owner of the log home had loaned them out and they would go to a restaurant for dinner. But instead of coming straight back to the hotel after dinner, the other men insisted that they go to the bar. Corny, of course, doesn't drink. And so he would sit in the car for hours waiting for them to come out of the bar and then he, the only one who hadn't drank, drove them back to the hotel. Night after night after night. Ah, I said, that's what's happened. He's out waiting in the parking lot of the bar for those guys to come back. But I'll call one more time before I go to bed. I need a good sleep. I'm driving for six hours tomorrow. So at 11, I called again. Still no answer. I left a message with the operator this time, said, please tell him when he comes in that I'm fine. I've arrived in Toronto I'm safe. I'll be driving out tomorrow. I gave her my hotel room number, just in case. Immediately crawled into bed and fell fast asleep. What I didn't know, however, was what had happened that morning in Pennsylvania. Corny woke up determined to find me as soon as possible. There were two vehicles that they were using on that job site. One of them was the car that I told you about, but the other was the Suburban that some of the crew members had driven all the way from Alberta to Pennsylvania. They weren't using it because they were using the car instead. He realized that, asked them if they minded if he took the Suburban to Canada because he wanted to meet me at the airport and pick me up. They were happy with that. So he quickly pulled together what was necessary for an overnight trip to to Canada, Ontario, and headed out on the road in plenty of time to meet me at 8.30. What he hadn't calculated 
was the amount of time it would take on a Friday afternoon to cross the border into Canada. And then he hit the greater metropolitan Toronto area traffic, which on a Friday afternoon is just as bad as ours. Stop and go traffic for hours. The analog clock, it's 1996 after all, on the dash of his vehicle kept ticking. Tick, 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 tick. The hands kept moving around and around and around and around and around and around. And finally at six o'clock in that traffic, he began to have just a little tiny twinge of worry. He had never been to Toronto before. He didn't know where the Pearson International Airport was and he had no map. He thought, well, hey, you know, how hard can it be to find an airport in Toronto? It's big, it'll be fine. You have to forgive him and me, we hadn't traveled much before. He noticed that there were signs above the freeway pointing the way to an airport, the airport, so he followed them. At 7.30 p.m., he pulled up in front of a ferry dock only to see a ferry just leaving. There was a barrier across the way, and there was a man sitting in a hut to his left. He rolled down the window and asked, is that the ferry to the airport? When does the next one come? Oh, said the man, that was the last ferry. What? No, that can't be, he said. No, no, that can't be the last ferry. My wife is coming in to that airport at 8.30. I have to get there. She doesn't know I'm coming. Really? said the man. Because the next ferry isn't until tomorrow morning. That is the last ferry. Get it back, he said. Bring it back. Quick, I have to get on it. Oh, I can't do that, the gentleman said. I'm sorry, it's gone. You've missed it. But she doesn't know I'm coming. I have to meet her. It's my only chance. There was something in his voice that made the man ask, Where's she coming from? Alberta, he exclaimed. Oh, well, then you've got the wrong airport. This is just a little tiny regional airport on an island in the middle of Lake Ontario. Uh, there are no flights from Western Canada that arrive at that airport. You need to go to Pearson International. So he wheeled the Suburban around, after getting directions this time, made his way back through downtown Toronto, found himself on the freeway, headed west, and sure enough, the sign said, Pearson International Airport. He drove faster than he's ever driven before. He always obeys the speed limit until that evening. Pulled into the airport area and with horror realized that there were multiple terminals. He had no idea which terminal I would arrive at. And to, to make the situation even more complicated, he couldn't park because all the signs said parking garage, parking garage, parking garage, and he's a mechanic. Garage means a place where you fix vehicles, not a place to park. <laughs> Finally, in desperation, he pulled up to the terminal that he happened to be beside, parked illegally in front, locked the vehicle and ran inside. At the first counter, he asked, where's the flight from Calgary? The person said, what flight from Calgary? What do you mean? No, I, he said, my wife is coming on the 8.30 flight from Calgary. Where is it? He happened to be at an Air Canada counter. The person looked up on the screen where the 
where the flights from Calgary were located and said, the last flight from Calgary arrived two hours ago. No, no, he said, it's 8.40. She said she was coming in at 8.30. I don't know how this happened. But security wasn't what it was, um, or security wasn't it, what it is now in 1996 because the person looked up the flight manifest for that flight two hours prior and said, Joy Fair? No. There was no Joy Fair on this flight. Well, where would she be? The individual suggested that maybe he check with WestJet, the other commercial airline that was flying from Calgary to Toronto. But it was at the other side of the terminal, so he ran faster than he could ever ran before. I mean, he just charged down the terminal, practically collapsed on the counter of WestJet and asked the woman at that counter where the flight from Calgary was. Oh, she said, the last flight from Calgary for the evening arrived 30 minutes ago. Was Joy Fair on it? Please tell me, tell me. And again, this person looked up the flight manifest and again said, no, there was no Joy Fair on that flight. What? He said, how can that be? She said she was arriving. Why? I don't know, said the woman. And then he began to worry. Maybe I hadn't come after all. Maybe something had happened in Calgary. There were no cell phones back in the day. We couldn't connect. And maybe I decided not to come. But something made him think twice. Budget, he remembered. He ran to the budget counter and asked again for me. The person looked up the reservations on their system and said, Oh, yes, Joy Fair. I see that we do have a reservation here for her. She was to pick up the vehicle at 8.30. It was now 9.30. She was to pick up the vehicle at 8.30. She never did. I thought, what on earth is going on? Perhaps she's never, she never came. She hasn't arrived. Of course, remember, the travel agent had changed the, the reservation, and I was using Avis. And clearly, she hadn't canceled the budget reservation. He was really confused. But in that moment, insisting to himself that if I was there, he needed to find me, there was one last piece of the puzzle he could follow up on, the hotel. Charging out of the terminal, he stopped on the sidewalk and surveyed the horizon, looking for the airport hotel. To his dismay, he discovered that there were dozens of hotels. <laughs> From right to left, a plethora of choices. I hadn't told him where I was staying. I had just said, the airport hotel. And now he had to choose. I don't know why, but for some reason, he, he stopped at the hotel that seemed to jump out at him. It was taller, a little taller than the rest. And there was a big red neon sign on top with an S inside of what looked like a laurel wreath. Sheraton, he said. That's where she'd stay. I know she's at the Sheraton. He went back to his vehicle, which for some reason had not been towed or ticketed, <laughs> got inside and headed it in the direction of the Sheraton Hotel. Unfortunately, though, the road he was on peeled off to the right. He turned around again and tried another road, and it peeled off to the left. Over and over and over again, he tried road after road after road, and he just couldn't get himself to the Sheraton Hotel. At about 11 o'clock that night, he tells us,
He passed several parking lots, all of them restricted. Employee parking, VIP parking, particular airline parking, but no parking for the public, at least as far as he could see. There were all these parking garages, but, you know, he wasn't going there. At one o'clock in the morning, when he was contemplating finally giving up, he said, no, I'm not. I'm not going back empty-handed. If she's here in this city, I'm finding her. He pulled into a restricted employee parking lot, locked up his vehicle, and I kid you not, climbed a chain-link fence, <laughs> ran across eight lanes of freeway, eight lanes, climbed a cement barrier on the other side and hopped another chain-link fence, ran through a parking lot, and charged into the lobby of the Sheraton Hotel. He asked the woman at the counter if Joy Fair was here. Please, he said, he could barely talk by now. Please, please tell me, is Joy Fair here? Oh, said the woman, I'm sorry I can't tell you that. <laughs> Airlines would give him the information, car rental agencies would give him the information, but would the hotel clerk give him the information? No. I'm sorry, she said, we don't release that information. You have to tell me, he said. I've driven all the way from Pennsylvania. Her flight, if she's here, landed hours ago. I can't go back home without her. Tell me, please, is she here? Oh, I'm sorry, I can't give you that information. But there was something in the tone of her voice that caught, the, or his voice, that caught that woman's attention. Listen, she said. Look to your right. On the wall over there is a phone. Go over there, pick up the receiver, and when the operator answers, say these words and these words alone. Please connect me to Joy Fair's room. Don't ask if she's here, we won't tell you. But if she's here, the phone in her room will ring and hopefully she'll answer. He lifted up the receiver and did what he was told. The phone started to ring and he prayed prayed, prayed fervently, Lord, Lord, please, please let her be here. You know what it's like when you're sound asleep and the phone rings? <laughs> At first you think it's the alarm clock, at least that's what I thought. Six o'clock already, I thought, surely not, I've just fallen asleep. And then I thought, who would be calling me at two in the morning? Nobody knows I'm here, it must be a crank call. I, I thought I'd just ignore, and then I remembered. I'd left my number with the clerk in Pennsylvania. <sighs> Those guys have finally come back from the bar, I thought, and now he's calling to tell me he got the message. Goodness, why? But I fumbled around, reached out with my arm, grabbed the receiver and said, hello. You're here, he whispered. Of course I'm here, I said. You're really here? Yes, I'm really here. Wow. It's not so amazing, I said. After all, I told you I was here. I left my number with the hotel in Scranton. Clearly, you've got it and you phoned. Amazing. No, 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 really, I said. It's not that amazing. You dialed, I answered. It's the way technology works today. 
What floor are you on? What floor am I on? Why do you need to know that? I asked. Let me give you a little clue here. You see, I'm a, I'm a night person. Corny is a morning person. Don't talk to him after 10 o'clock at night. It makes no sense. <laughs> Truly not. And so here it was at 2 in the morning, and I thought he was just half asleep and making no sense. You don't need to know what floor I'm on, I said. Don't worry, I'll be in Scranton tomorrow at noon. No, he said. Tell me. What floor are you on? Stop it, I said. I want to sleep. Quit bothering me. I love you and all. Yes, but good night. No, 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 he said. Don't hang up. Tell me. What floor are you on? All right, then, I said. If it's that important to you, I'm on the sixth floor. And then he said, what is your room number? Come on, I said, this is getting crazy. Please, let me go to sleep. You need your rest too. And then he laughed. Just like you heard him on the video. That little silly laugh. And something clicked. No. No, I said, you didn't. And he laughed again. You can't be! And he really laughed then. You're here, I said. You're really here? Yes, I am, he said. And if you'll give me your, your room number, I'll be there in two minutes. And he was. That is 23 years ago now. 23 years. And as I think about it, it seems like yesterday. Because in that moment, I knew, and I know it today, that that man loves me. He will do anything for me. And when I realize that, I'm reminded of how he showed me the love of our Creator God. The stories in Luke chapter 15 Think about them for a moment. Think of them in light of this particular story. Amy Jill Levine, the author of the book Stories by Jesus, tells us that the listeners in Jesus' day would not have focused so much on the, on the idea of sinners and repentance, but instead would have heard the thread, the common thread through all three stories of someone who keeps track of the members of the community, keeps an accounting of everyone in the community, and when one is missing, does whatever is necessary to find that person or thing or animal and bring them back into community again. The shepherd. How did the shepherd know that one was missing? Only because the shepherd knew and counted every sheep. And when he got to 99, knew that one was missing, and then did everything he could to find that little sheep and bring it back into the fold. The woman. Have you ever had 10 quarters in a pile? Have you ever taken one out? Did, did it look like there was one less? No. She only knew one was missing because she counted her coins kept an accounting, and when that one was missing, she searched high and low in her house until she found it, 
brought the coin back into the grouping again. And the final story? A father who had two sons. Yes, one went away, and when the one came back, the father threw a feast, but the story doesn't end there. Because in the midst of the feast, the father realized that son number two was missing. He went out into the field and begged that son to come back into community and communion and relationship again. We don't know how the story ends, but we're left with that theme. Our God knows us. Every single one of us in this building and every single one of us who isn't in this building. He counts us and knows us by name. And when one of us is missing, he goes searching and does not stop, just like Corny refused to quit, does not stop until he finds that one and does everything possible to convince that individual to be back in community again. But the beauty of this is that when we come into the fold, he then invites us to do that work. He gives us the privilege of keeping an accounting of those in our community, not just the four walls of this building, but the 90505, 92505, there we are, see, I'm Canadian, how would I know? 92505, and the greater Riverside area. It's our responsibility to keep an accounting, and when one is missing, go find that person and invite them back into the fold. My prayer for all of us this afternoon is that we will realize the incredible, amazing, insane, and yes, reckless love of our Father, and then share that with the members of our community.